All right, so I've got an issue that I, I know is an issue that my, my wife gets annoyed with. And it may come as a shocker for you, but I like, like, I like to make too many jokes in my life. And so what happens for me is I, I tend to overjoke with my daughters. Like it'll be, just as an example, it might be a really beautiful day outside and my kids are like, oh, it's so nice out, like let's go to the park. And I'll, and I'll just be like, yeah, it's gonna rain later today. And then Finley goes, really dad, is that real? Is that real? She has no clue when I'm serious anymore. Like everything I say at this point, she's like, is that real, is that real? And my wife, I feel bad for her because she's all the time, she's gotta be like, honey, your father's not a liar. <laughs> he's not smart, but he's not a liar. He tells you all the wrong things. I'm like, I've kind of become like the little boy who cried wolf with my kids, I think. And so I need to change because I'm becoming very untrustworthy, I feel. And there, there are things in life that even for people that are trustworthy, it's hard for us to believe them. I'm a, I'm a big fan of comeback stories. I, I had a blast watching the Masters a couple weeks ago and watching Tiger kick some butt. And it's just, it's cool to see a guy who is at rock bottom and make his way back and do that. I just, I loved it. Um, it's probably about a week and a half ago now, I was watching one of the, the, the Warriors Clippers NBA playoff games. And I love watching the Warriors. They play basketball the right way. And I'm, we're watching, and it's like, they're, they're up by 31 points about halfway through the third quarter. And so at that point, I'm like, yeah, it's not a very good game. So I, I keep the game out in the background, and I, I'm just doing stuff on my computer. And I look up a little bit later, and it's about a 20-point game. I'm like, eh, I'm still not too, too worried about it. Look up a little later, it's a 12-point game. And I'm starting to think, well, this is stupid, guys. Just win the game. A little bit later, I look up, it's about a seven-point game, and so now I'm, I'm kind of back, I'm invested back into the game, and I'm watching it, and sure enough, the Clippers, they get back to, they tie the game, they send it to overtime, and they win. And it was actually the biggest playoff comeback in NBA playoff history. Now, if I had turned the game off, and the next day I, I, I woke up and I got a call from my buddy, he's like, hey, did you watch the game last night? Clippers won it. I would have sounded like my daughter, Finley. I'm like, Really? Is that real? I probably, actually, I'm, I'm more mean than that. I've probably been like, you're stupid. Stop saying lies. <laughs> and I would have had to go to ESPN.com to look at the box score just to get that verification of something that I thought couldn't have been real. And that's, that's us as people, especially as adults, like we need verification for things that, that people tell us. And in a story that we're going to read today, that we got one of Jesus' friends who's kind of in that same boat. He's, he's told that supposedly Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's like, yeah, I don't know about that. So in John chapter 20, we're going to read a story about this guy called Thomas. And Thomas had just watched Jesus be crucified. He watched Thomas get killed, watched him put him in a tomb, roll a stone over that tomb. And then he's told, hey, Jesus is alive. And obviously, as you might imagine, it was, it was a little bit difficult for him to, to hear that. And so we're in John chapter 20. We're going to start with verse 24. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side... I will not believe it. 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Thomas is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He is one of the main guys that we can, that we can attribute to the reason of why we're here today, that the, the word of Jesus got around to the world, partly because of this guy. But we also know that Thomas is a doubter. Doubt stuff. Not just in this case. He is, he's also a man of incredible faith. He is loyal to Jesus. He is devoted to Jesus, almost like, unlike some of even, I think, some of the other disciples. But there's this thing in, in Thomas where he sees the dark side to everything. Does that sound like any of us? Sometimes I feel like that. In John chapter 11, Jesus um, was with his disciples across the Jordan River in the wilderness. And the reason that they were over there is because just, just a, a few days before this, while they were in Jerusalem, a crowd tried to stone Jesus. They were trying to kill him already. And so they took off and they went across the Jordan and they were, they were out there in this wilderness. And that was the time where somebody came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is dead. It's something that Eric preached about a couple weeks back. And so the, the, the tough thing about this is Lazarus was in a place called Bethany, which is right by Jerusalem. And so the disciples, they're expect, expectedly, they're kind of freaking out like, is he going to go back to see Lazarus? Because he, like, that's, our, that's dangerous for us right now to go back there. And so Jesus kind of just holds on this for about two days. And then he tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to go back. I'm going to visit Lazarus. And like, again, like you can imagine, they're, they're kind of they're hesitant about that. They're, and I imagine what happens is all these disciples are around Jesus, and they can see that he's not going to budge. He's going to go and see his friend Lazarus. And they all kind of get quiet, and they're looking around at each other. And you know that feeling of like, like, do you think he wants us to go with him? And one of the guys, one of the disciples speaks up and he tells the other disciples, let us go, let, let us also go that we may die with him. I've been, I've been in situations before where like I knew, you know the right thing to do. This is like you're walking past a river that has got a current that's flowing really strong and you see somebody drowning in it, and you're like, I think, yeah, I probably should go in there. I don't know if I want to. It's hard for us to muster up that optimism about things. It, it, I felt like that sometimes when I was coaching girls basketball, and I'd be in the locker room beforehand, and I'd be telling the girls the game plan, like, we got to do this, we got to do this. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, this team is going to kill us. <laughs> They're so much better than us. But at the end, I don't say that. I'm, I say, all right, girls, stick to the game plan, work hard. We got this. And everything in me is thinking, I want to say, girls, let's just go out there and do play hard because we're going to get our buzz kicked for 32 minutes. And that's more the kind of thing that Thomas typically would say. Thomas sees the negative. He says, he says to the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Isn't that the friend that you want to have around you? Like, I love that he's loyal. I love that he, he doesn't care. Like, he, he fully thinks he's going to die, but he's like, let's do this. 
So it's something that I, I can kind of respect in this Thomas. He expects the bad things to happen. Actually, I think Thomas would have made a really good Minnesota Vikings fan. Because we expect the bad thing to happen. We expect if we've got a field goal to win a playoff game, that thing's going wide left. There's no, there's no question in my mind. We could be at the two-yard line with about three seconds left to go. We're down two. We're kicking a 19-yard field goal. I know it's going wide left. I've seen it happen. Thank you, Blair Walsh. Still, still trying to get love in my heart for that guy. Um, Thomas would have been a good Vikings fan, but you know what? We all, a lot of us struggle with this. I, Packers have won Super Bowls, but I've sat and watched Packers games with my father-in-law. And it, I get a kick out of it because it could be, I've seen this a, a number of times. First possession, it's a three and out. And I know exactly what's coming. My father-in-law, oh man, doesn't look like it's a Packers day today. My like, dude, it's three plays into the game. We have a tendency to be Thomas's. Negativity. We're like a bunch of Charlie Browns. I never watched Charlie Brown stuff because it just looked depressing to me. And that's like Thomas. Thomas has a little bit of that in him. But he's always faithful. Even though he's not optimistic, he's always faithful. I can appreciate that about him. I go through my moments where I'm like Thomas. You probably go through your moments where you've got some of that Thomas in you too. The question is, is there something that can keep us from doubting the good? Is there some way that I can consistently hold on to an optimism that isn't rooted in my circumstances, but that's rooted in what I believe God can do in my life? And people's lives around me. So I want us to, to, again, look at this John chapter 20. And I want to look at the first verse in particular. I think this first verse that we read, verse 24, it is what everything centers around in this story. It says, Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. There is so much to unpack in just this little sentence. It actually reminds me of a sentence that, that comes back from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it's talking about King David. And actually, here's what it says. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent out with the king's men, uh, sent Joab out with the king's men and with the whole Israelite army. What happened is David, a king, was supposed to go to war with his, with his soldiers. And he stayed back. He sent other people out. And probably a lot of us in this room knows what happened at that point. He had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba because her husband was out on the battlefield. For this, in this situation, David wasn't in the place that he should have been, and it cost him. And in this story that we read in John chapter 20, it's the same thing here with Thomas. Thomas wasn't in the place that would have been most beneficial to him. Sometimes becoming who we're meant to be is about as much as where we positioned ourselves as it is anything else. Kids in youth groups have gotten annoyed with me for like the last 17 years because I act like I'm really annoyed with them when they don't come to youth group or when they don't come to Bible camp or youth convention. I'm kind of annoyed, but I'm, it's really, it's not annoying. I probably don't do a good enough job of explaining to them why I want them there. And the truth is, is I don't want them to experience a, a kind of a Thomas-like situation. Situation where they could have been somewhere where Jesus could have encountered their life in a way that would have changed them. I don't want them to be somewhere where, where, uh, where they're doing things of less significant value than seeing God get a hold of their lives. 
We have no knowledge of why Tom, what, Thomas, Tom, I'm good friends with him. I just call Thomas Tom. I don't know if any preacher has ever done that before. I don't, we don't know why Thomas wasn't with the disciples the day that Jesus first came and saw them. See, it was, it was the Sunday night, the, the very night that Jesus walked out of the grave. Early in the morning, you got some women that are going to the grave and they see that the, the tomb is empty and Jesus talks to them and, and, and gives them an encounter. And that night, these disciples, they're in this house. They're kind of locked away in this house because, frankly, they're, they're kind of terrified that the, the same people who killed Jesus are going to come after them. And so they're hiding away. And Jesus enters into that room and he, he presents himself to them. He has an encounter with them. But for some reason, Thomas wasn't there. You ever been some, have you ever had a chance to go somewhere and you don't take the opportunity and people come back and they're like, dude, it was so awesome. You should have been there. It's a horrible feeling. I, when I was, this is probably when I was like seven or eight years old. My family, we would travel to the Twin Cities a lot because my grandparents lived there um, and there were shopping malls there. And we're from, we were from Northern Wisconsin and you could like only shop at a grocery store. And so we'd go to the cities and we'd shop and stuff. We never went to, we never went to like Disney World. We spent all our money on clothes. It was awesome. And so we're in the cities. We're visiting my grandparents. And my mom was going to go out and do, go, I'm sure to TJ Maxx and Marshalls because that's our thing. And she's like, hey, you want to come? And I, for whatever reason, I stayed at my grandpa and grandma's house that day. They had, they had a little red car about this big. And I, I played with it all the time at their house. That's probably what I did. My mom, on the way back to my grandpa and grandma's house, stopped at a garage sale. Just randomly stopped at a garage sale. And stopped at this house, and it ended up being Bud Grant's house. You may not know the name Bud Grant. Yeah, somebody knows Bud Grant. He was the legendary Hall of Fame coach of the Minnesota Vikings who took them to four Super Bowls. Yes, they lost. But he took them to four Super Bowls. I had a chance that day I could have met Bud Grant. My, my mom came home with this huge poster, um, and it, it was signed Bud Grant, like, hey, Kellen, best of wishes, Vikings, Bud Grant. It was cool. But I missed out on an opportunity to meet a, a legendary Hall of Fame coach because I stayed, I stayed back. I want you to think about this question for a second. Why is church important? I think that the story of Thomas is part of the answer of why, why getting together with other believers is actually an important thing. Connecting with people helps us to connect with Jesus on a more consistent basis than I think happens on our own, in our own individual lives. It's because we get together for that distinct purpose. This is why I strongly encourage kids all the time to become in a youth group or get to Bible camp in the summer, or come to youth convention with us. Because if they weren't at those things, what would they be doing? They'd be at home doing the normal day, everyday things. And the truth of it is, is a lot of times in our normal everyday life, we're not putting ourselves in that position where, where God can connect with us. We, we kind of just, he's outside of our range of thinking a lot of the time. But because we place ourselves in those places where God can connect with us, he's able to connect. It's about, it's about purpose. Thomas was actually like that kid who stays home from a Bible camp or from youth group or, or he's, he's like that dad who has been working hard all week and he doesn't want to get up and, and go to church in the morning because he just wants to get some rest, but he's missing out on that opportunity to connect with God. He's like that introverted person who decides that, man, I can't, get, I can't become a part of a small group because I'm introverted and I don't like to be around people, but then they miss out on years and years of people pouring into 
to his life and, and helping them to, to get to that capacity that they have to know Jesus better. All of Thomas's friends had an encounter with Jesus on the night that he rose from the dead and it changed their lives. But Thomas didn't have that encounter. He needed his own experience. We all need our own experience of encountering who Jesus is. He wasn't in that room kind of waiting for a Jesus moment like all those other disciples were. And he was off doing something else. We don't know what he was doing, but he was off doing something else. The last thing that I ever tried to do, especially with teenagers, the last thing I ever tried to do is, is kind of guilt kids into church attendance or, or being part of a church experience. But I think we really have to be honest with ourselves about, about a truth when it comes to meeting together with people who, who believe in Jesus. It's in moments like that. It, those moments are unlike any other moments in our ability to connect with Jesus because it, it's the purpose, it's what we're designed to do in those moments. You might connect with God on your own, and, and I hope we all are trying to connect with God on our own time, but there's something about being around other people. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. That small group that you can be a part of sharpens you in a way that you're not going to be sharpened on your own. Being at church, like there's a presence of the Holy Spirit when people come together that we can't always manufacture for some reason when we're just kind of on our own. Thomas didn't have that first encounter with Jesus. And what happened was his faith remained stagnant because of it. This is why I think us being together regularly it matters because over time, our faith is encouraged. You know, Thomas is called Doubting Thomas. I think part of what helps us not to become doubters and be, to be optimistic is to continually be meeting together with other people who are kind of challenging us and sharpening us. There's a reason why Jesus told his disciples before he left the earth, man, I want you guys to get together and I want you to pray every day until the Holy Spirit comes. There's a reason why Paul tells us to never stop meeting together, and to encourage each other in the faith, it's because there is something irreplaceable about Christian community. We are not meant to, to be doing things on our own when it comes to our faith. A Christian community that you might need, it might be in, being in a church service on Sunday mornings. It might be a small group that you plug yourself into with another group of friends. Um, we're actually, I want to make sure that you're aware, next week we're going to be starting a new series called Belong. And it's another one of those series where uh, Eric and David and Corey have got uh, video teachings for it. And we've got a book in the back uh, for, for study guide. Maybe, maybe you haven't been in a small group yet. Maybe there's one family here that you're like, man, I'd like to get to know them a little bit. Have them over for dinner. Maybe watch the videos. Maybe don't. Maybe just talk through some of the study questions. And I think you'll be amazed that just getting into a conversation that you're not used to getting into, uh, that talking about things, thinking about things that on your own you wouldn't do, it may connect you to God in a way that you wouldn't have expected. The Christian community that you might need might be getting together with one other person or a couple people for a Bible study once in a while. But once a, once a month or twice a month, I've been getting together with a kid from our youth group named Jack, and we've been going through the book of James together. And it's so cool because I we, we talk, as we're talking through it, I probably do most of the talking because I'm a preacher and that's what we do. Uh, but as we talk, 
things come out in that conversation that I wouldn't have gotten to if I was just reading through James by myself. There's something about that connection with people that connects us to God. Maybe the Christian community that you need right now is, we got a thing called uh, Right Now Media. It is an online platform to watch uh, videos, whether uh, there's Bible studies, there's marriage count, uh, marriage studies, there's all kinds of cool stuff on this. And I think you're going to have my web, my email address up there in a second, hopefully. It's kellenanderson at centralwire.com. All you need to do is email me, hey, Kellen, that right now media thing sounds interesting. Give me the information. I'll send you the information so you can get on there. But that that's actually a way of getting some Christian community, of having some great teachers and preachers speaking into your life while you're at home. Just on the internet. We need Christian community. But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't, we don't put ourselves in the place where we should probably even expect that God is going to give us a faith that is different and matters. Should I really be surprised if I'm not connecting, if I'm not putting myself in a place where I will be able to connect with Jesus more easily? Should I be surprised when I'm struggling in my faith, when I'm having moments of doubt, when optimism isn't there? Should we really be surprised that Thomas, a guy who struggled with pessimistic attitudes all his life, should we be surprised that he struggled and he doubted when he wasn't in that room seeing Jesus for the first time like his friends were? As a parent of four kids, this isn't something that I like to admit, but it's tough for me sometimes, for me and Crystal to find times where we just connect. Last month, at the end of the month, I, we had the pleasure of getting away for a weekend, and we went to a concert and stuff, and it's, it's amazing how you can actually connect with your spouse walking around a mall getting to hold their hand instead of holding your kid's hand, and they're making you chase them everywhere. We need to get ourselves in places where we can connect with our spouse, and the same thing with Jesus. We need to get in places where we can connect with him, where that connection is more likely. Where are you actually making a specific and meaningful connection with Jesus in your life? What are you doing that's outside of the normal everyday experience that you go through where you're, you're specifically in that place where you can connect with Jesus? One thing that, that I love in this story about Thomas, we can say one thing for sure. He, he learned his lesson. See, the second time that Jesus appears, where do you think Thomas found himself? He found himself with his disciple friends. There's something really interesting about this. While Thomas didn't believe his friends' account that Jesus had appeared to them, he was intrigued enough by what they said. He was intrigued enough by that idea that he sure wasn't going to miss Jesus coming a second time if he came. He didn't believe him, but he's like, if it did happen, I'm going to make sure I'm there. In verse 26, it says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. The, the Greek wording in this, in this verse actually indicates it was eight days after their first encounter with Jesus that Jesus came and appeared to them again. I think for eight days, Thomas has been hanging around those disciples. Because he's like, I don't, okay, I don't believe really that Jesus came and they saw, like, maybe they think they saw Jesus. I don't really believe it. But if it happens again, I'm going to make sure that I'm with these guys. This is how we know that Thomas struggles with doubt. He doubts his own doubt. Like, he doubts that they, he doubts that Jesus came to these guys. But he doubts that he, his doubt just enough that he's like, well, I should probably hang out. I love that. 
He is just that doubtful. And I think that there's so many people in our lives that are just like that. Um, and this is kind of a side note, I think, to this whole story. But I think for some of you, this might be the thing that you need to hear this morning. Your witness of Jesus may not get the friend in your life to believe in who Jesus is, but it may keep them intrigued enough to stay close to you until they have an encounter with Jesus, until Jesus gives them that personal experience of him that they need. Your friends may not be fallen over themselves to, to believe in the Jesus that you're talking about, but are you intriguing them just enough that they would stick around by you long enough until they get that encounter with Jesus firsthand themselves? See, it's not, it's not you who gives somebody faith. It's Jesus. And I think a lot of our loved, people, loved ones are in this place where they don't, they don't not believe. They just, they're just doubting. And it's Jesus who makes this faith come alive. Um, you might be you might be the Thomas in this situation though you're the one that's struggling with doubt maybe you are finding gloom and darkness when everybody else around you it seems like they, they find hope maybe you've tried to see Jesus for who he is and it's just like he never gives you enough to completely buy into it um, maybe Maybe you want to believe that Jesus has your best interests in mind, but time and time again, it's like you're getting let down and you're just at the point, I, I just don't know if God even cares. I think there's a couple things that Thomas does, and we find it in this story, that can help every single one of us when we're in those moments where we just can't find the good in this world. Because we've all, we've all been there. First thing is, place yourself in the presence of people who see and know Jesus. I've grown up in the church. I've, my dad was a pastor. I, it's like church has been my second home. And if there's one thing that I can remember that I've seen people in the church, it's that when they start to struggle, a lot of times what they do is not dig in a little bit more. They start to back away. They back away from the people who also know Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's that right there. If Thomas, in his doubt about Jesus coming to his friends, if he had walked away from his disciples his friends that were Jesus' disciples at that point, I'm guessing there's a good chance that Thomas would have continued to doubt. And that doubt would have grown to the point of unbelief. And had he not encountered Jesus for himself because he was with those friends who also knew Jesus, I don't know if he ever would have believed in a risen Savior. It's vital that we have people around us who help us to see that optimism, who help us to see who Jesus is. The second thing, I think there's another thing that Thomas does that's really important. You need to place yourself where Jesus can present himself to you. That might be that small group that you've been neglecting to become a part of. That might be, that might be you going to church, even when you honestly, it's like the last place that you want to be. It might be going for a walk, simply to go out, get out of your house so that you can pray and talk to God. And you can be like, God, I don't, I don't feel you at all, but I need to talk to you. It might be quieting everything around you, turning off the music for once, turning off, taking the, the, the earphones out of your ear from the podcast you listen to. I, li I never, I realize that most of my life, I barely have quiet. Sometimes maybe we need to quiet ourselves and say, God, speak to me. I don't know how you're going to do it, but do it and see, and see if he's going to give you that encounter that you need. It's, it's really interesting when you look at 
the, the literal wording that Jesus uses. When he told, him, when he told uh, Thomas to put his finger in his side, the NIV says, now quit doubting. Stop doubting. But the actual little, literal rendering of this word says, do not be becoming unbelieving, but believing. You see, Thomas was in this place where it was, he wasn't unbelieving, but he was becoming unbelieving. The ways that he was thinking, he was, if he continued down that road, he was going to get to the place where he was unbelieving. He was in doubt. He was becoming unbelieving. And Jesus, Jesus was the only one that could get him to that place where that unbelieving could be cut off and true belief could, could happen. It could take place. Jesus is the ultimate giver of our faith. It's hard for somebody like Thomas to believe that a guy could raise from the dead. But in verse 27, we see that Jesus actually obliged to Thomas's needs for what he needed to be to be able to believe. He let him put his, his hand in the side where that sword had gone in. And then Jesus says a really powerful sentence. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and, and have yet believed. Right here, Jesus' words indicate to you and to me that it is possible for us to believe in things that we do not see. Jesus can give us that kind of faith. The question is, what is God asking you to believe in today that you don't see? Is it his resurrection? Is he asking you, like, just believe in me that I died and rose again? Believe in me for once. Is he asking you to believe in in, in your ability to become sober, this thing that you can't see right now? Is he asking you to believe that you can actually become a person of patience, something that you can't see right now? Is he asking you to believe that he can get you through this financial situation that you see no way out of right now? I think to a lot of people, this story of Thomas, it seems like it's a rebuke. It seems like Jesus is like, Thomas, you're, 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 just, you're doing bad things. But you have to remember, he gave Thomas what he needed so that he could believe. I think this story is actually a story of encouragement. And the encouragement is, faith is not your doing alone. It's what Jesus can give to you. It's not on you completely to get out of this place where maybe you're feeling doubt or you're feeling pessimistic about everything. It is Jesus's, it's his doing. He will get you there. But we need to keep seeking his presence. Even when doubt is crashing in all around us, it's his presence that is going to give birth to renewed faith in our lives. And the cool thing is that after everything was done in this story, after all this doubt that Thomas had, Thomas actually gives a profession of faith about who Jesus is that is a deeper profession of faith than we see anybody else in the entire four Gospels say about who Jesus was. At the very end of the story, he, he shouts out to Jesus. He's like, you are my Lord. You are my God. This is deeper profession of faith than anybody has. He's gone from doubting Jesus to doubting his doubt about Jesus to the place where he is willing to claim Jesus as his God in a way that nobody else had to this point. It is only Jesus who's able to give people that kind of faith. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're like, man, I can't muster up any kind of optimism or excitement about my faith right now. Maybe sickness and fatigue has just kind of brought a toll on your body to where you just, you just feel like you can't even escape from it. Maybe loneliness has engulfed you to the point where you don't feel like you actually can make a connection with another person or with God. 
Maybe the everyday difficulties of, of raising a family, paying bills, changing nasty, dirty diapers, living with a spouse that just gets everything wrong. Maybe, maybe it's getting you where you don't even feel like you can wake up. But I'm here to tell you good news this morning. Jesus is the giver of faith. You don't have to become optimistic about who God is on your own. Worshiping, you guys can come, you can come up here right now. You don't have to do this all on your own. Jesus wants to give you the faith that he wants you to be able to live out. Jesus brings faith out of non-faith. Jesus is the reason for our excitement. He is the reason for our optimism. And your goal no longer is that you have to muster up that kind of excitement. The goal is, are you willing to ask God for an encounter of Jesus? Are you willing to say, God, I need to encounter you firsthand the way that Thomas got that encounter? Jesus wants to give you an experience that is going to change you. He was willing to let Thomas put his hands in the holes in his side to give him an experience. Do you need that kind of experience of Jesus today? <clears throat> it really just starts with us asking God for that experience, that he would meet with us, that he would give us an encounter of who he is. And he's the one who will give us that faith. Do you need that kind of Thomas experience this morning? Do you need God to come in and renew your faith, to give you excitement that's just been missing? When, we, when I pray today, I just, I want to ask you just to ask God to give you that encounter. We're going to worship for a while at the end of service here. And ask God to give you an encounter of who he is that would change you the way that Thomas was changed. Let's pray.